Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Who can separate the love of Christ? Nothing. Now we've got to nail this down, folks, and understand this. We need to become blind chasers, and I am for bringing up a whole generation of lion chasers. That's the only hope we have in Jesus Christ. The truth is, boldness is part and parcel of the Christian life. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young shares his message, Lion Chasers, about who you are in Christ and what you're empowered to do because of your new identity. That message begins in a moment. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Lion Chasers. Most of us are praying for an awakening in America, an awakening in a world that somehow, some way, there will be a turning back to God and a turning back to Jesus Christ. Historically, in America, there has never been a great awakening that was not directly connected to the study of the book of Romans. The basic, basic foundation of coming to know God and turning around a nation and turning around a life. We've been in Romans chapter 8 for a while. And I don't want us just to go through this study and say, you know, we looked at Romans 8. I want Romans 8 to be a watershed for the life of every one of us so we can go back to this basic truth and it will, for the rest of our lives, speak God's insights of how to live. Therefore, it must become very practical. It must become very personal. And we must experience it and begin to know it. And that's the reason I hope everybody has a Bible in their hands. Didn't bring one, there's one in the pew in front of you. Please get one. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter number eight. Most people believe the greatest chapter in all of God's truth. And I want us to understand how practical it is and how basic and simple it is. Now, I'm going to give you a whirlwind brief tour of Romans. Romans chapter 1 through chapter number 4. Romans 1 tells us nobody has an excuse for not doing God. Wherever you are on the planet, there's a sparkle of revelation, natural or special, that's available to everybody to turn to all the light that they have available to him. So no one is without excuse. And then Paul lists a whole series of heinous life choices. And he says the answer for that is not 
trying harder, get that out of your vocabulary, get that out of your practicality. The answer is not just, I'm gonna do my own thing. He gives us the answer as he gives us the diagnosis, and the answer is found in Romans chapter number five. Nail that down, remember that. Romans five tells all of us the answer to life here and forever. God has given us the answer clearly. We are justified by faith through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are right with him, right with ourselves, and have the capacity to be right with everybody else that touches our life. You got that? Romans chapter five. And then from Romans chapter five, we can look at Romans 6, 7, and Romans 8 through verse 13. And what that is, follow me, is answering questions people have when they realize that God has justified us by faith in Christ. This is the answering of questions, all those chapters. Anticipated questions, logical questions. But then after Romans 8, 13, there is that pivotal verse, Romans number 8, 1, 4. And here Paul, I wish I had some dirt here, draws a line, a very clear line. And he says, if you are on this side of the line, look at it, 14, it says, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are children of God. This has never been mentioned at this point. This is something new. Everything else in Romans is a rehearsal of what has already been taught. But right here in the 14th verse, he says, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God, but if you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. Very simple, isn't it? Proof text. Now, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? It's not spooky. Oh, Holy Spirit, lead me. Oh, I pray I'm being led by your Spirit. That's not it, folks. When we become a Christian, it is radical. Now, I became a Christian at a young age. It was not that radical. But as I have understood what that early commitment made, I realized living the Christian life is a radical life. It's radical. Also, living the Christian life is supernatural. God has to change us. Dramatically, sometimes, slowly, different ways, different body, different personalities. It's also supernatural. And also, it's far-reaching. It reaches all the way through this life, all the way through eternity. And to be led by the Spirit means exactly this. Your thoughts, your mind. Your passions, your heart and what you do, your body, your life. You got it? Therefore, 
We don't have to worry about being led by the Spirit of God if we are genuinely in Christ and Christ is genuinely in us because do you have to wake up in the morning and say, ears, I sure hope you're here today. Feet, I sure hope you step today. Eyes, I hope you see today. We don't do that, do we? No, it's built into you and built into me. And we are led by the Spirit. It is a natural outflowing of when Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. Basic. Not super mystical floating around in that honest sphere of religiosity. It's fundamental. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, I don't think about being led by the Spirit of God. Boy, our pastors are pagan. It just, it's just natural. It flows through us. And that's how we grow in sanctification and biblical knowledge. And the Holy Spirit gives us that lifestyle. Suddenly we have discernment. Suddenly we know how to make decisions. And we don't have to worry about whether we see or hear or speak or walk. It's just who we are. It's just who I am. Led by the Spirit of God tells us that we're children of God. And that is brand new in our study of Romans. We're heirs, we're joint heirs, we're in the family. God is Abba, that's brand new. We haven't hit that anywhere else in our study of Romans. There it is. And as a result of that, we move right into Romans 8, 28, how we love that verse. And it's logical, it's logical. We're led by the Spirit of God, therefore, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and those who are the called according to his purpose. Of course, we're in the family of God. All things. Uh, have you ever seen a watch that the uh, back of the watch is glass or plastic and you can see all the works? How many of you have ever seen a watch like that? Have you seen a watch like that? Yeah, yeah, we've seen them. I remember the first time I saw one, and I've seen them several times. Man, you look at all the little workings and the turnings and the wheels, and one's going this way, one's going that way, one's going clockwise, one's going counterclockwise. My, 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 I mean, how in the world, what is going on? What is going on? All those little wheels and pulleys and jumping up and down and all the little small things, I'll tell you what's going on. It's causing you and I to know what time it is, right? All things in a watch work together to keep the right time, and therefore we know all things in our life, all things, good, bad, ugly, up and down, doesn't matter. They're working together for your good and for God's glory as we seek to live out his purpose for our lives. Now, as a result of that, we went over those big doctrines as to how we know this is true. We have been pre-known, we have been preordained, we have been called, we have been justified, we've been glorified. We've gone over those $50 theological principles. And now we come to where we left off a few weeks ago and we say, well, what do you say to these things? In light that we're now in the family of God, we're being led by the Spirit of God by surrender and walking through life. Well, what do you say to these things? 
And then we had a little give and take. I said, if God be for us, you said, who can be against us? All right, if God be for us. And the choir said, nobody, nobody. Let's do it again. If God be for us. Now, and then we push that a little further. See what Paul is doing? See how logical this is when you understand it, when you see it? What Paul is doing, he said, well then, who can be against us? Obviously, nobody can because Jesus has already given the best that he had to offer for you and me, and that was his son, so we're able to be right with God. He's already given his best. Therefore, who can be against us? Little slow choir. Who can be against us? A plus. And then he says, well, who in the world can charge us with anything? You, you feel like, well, I'm in Christ, but I'm being, who can charge us? The devil tries to, our conscience tries to. And nobody can charge us, folks. We're in the family of God. And it says God has justified us. It's a court of law. We've been brought before the judge, the jury, and the judge says, hey, you're slick, you're free, you've been justified, it's all over, case closed. We've been justified. Nobody can, can charge us with anything in the past. No, no, can't be done. Then he says, who in the world can condemn us? Well, I'm gonna condemn. Nobody can condemn us. Why? Because, and by the way, we repeat these things so we'll get them nailed down. You know, the song, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. We've heard it before. We need to repeat these things to understand what happened. The cross, nobody can condemn us because the cross, Jesus it took all of your condemnation, my condemnation on himself. And also because of the resurrection, because of Easter. And remember the resurrection verifies everything Jesus did and said. Somebody said, well, you know, Jesus said he's going to die so I can get right with God. I don't know if that's true or not. It sounds kind of mystical to me. The resurrection said, hey, that nails it down. That's evidence in time and place in history. And then we see where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of God seated. Interesting, in the temple, there are no seats. Do you know that? In the temple where they offered all those sacrifices for those hundreds of years, there's no place for anybody to sit down. Why? Because the priests have to keep on offering sacrifices for sin over and over, sheep, goat, lambs, whatever, over and over for sin. But now we see Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is seated. Why? The sacrifice forever has been fully played. So therefore, we get to this point, and we, we turn around, and we have another question that we ask. You see it there in the Scripture, you have your Bibles open. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And by the way, that who needs to be what? And the answer is nothing. Balcony, awaken. You've got an assignment. What can separate us from the love of Christ? I want you to shout nothing. nothing. 
Boy, they, they, you better hustle, choir. We've got a choir up there. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Who can separate the love of Christ? Nobody. Now, we've got to nail this down, folks, and understand this. And therefore, then Paul mentions some things that would separate us from the love of Christ. Look at it. It's, it's a horrible list. Look at this list. Uh, trouble. It's right there in your scripture. Trouble tend to separate us. And trouble here is a picture of pressure. A lot of us live lives that are pressure packed. And we live under pressure. Trouble is exaggerated. Trouble gets out of proportion. And that tends to does, does Jesus Christ really love me? All this pressure I'm under? Will that separate me from him? And then we have hardship. This is a picture in the etymology of the word of a narrow place. God, sometimes by our choices, sometimes not by our choices, some by our decisions, sometimes by the circumstances that aren't of all. We find ourselves in a very narrow place tight place. There's no room to maneuver, and we feel like, boy, somehow we're separated from the love of God. And we, we, we don't want to be separated from the love of Christ. No, no. We don't want to be separated from that. And then look at the other word, persecution. That, that's prominent today if you're a Christian. Persecution. About 600,000 Christians are martyred every year around the world for standing up for Christ. You say, well, that's not happening in America. Just live for a while, folks. It's on the way. You can book it and write it down. Different kinds of persecution now. The heat is going to pick up because the world is going in the wrong direction and America has picked up that wrong direction. And before long, now it costs a little bit to be a Christian it's going to be a heavy cost to be a Christian. You can write that down. There will be persecution. Famine, not just without food. We may experience some of that too. But famine means we don't have enough to get along. We don't have enough to stand firm. Famine tends to separate us. And then nakedness. Nakedness is vulnerability. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's shameful. It's, I have no place to hide. Have you ever felt some of these? We've all, we could call out witness after witness. This tends to separate us. And danger, a lot of danger in the world. I just saw a listing of most dangerous cities to live in. Of course, we know Chicago, Baltimore, New Orleans, Houston. But the most dangerous city to live in America, for your information, is St. Louis, Missouri. Most dangerous city in America. More dangerous than New York per capita. It was all worked out. It is a dangerous time in which we say, well, Lord, we're separated from you. Then the sword, the sword here stands not only for a physical sword, it stands for in the judicial area, in the courts. No one wants to walk in a court today because you don't know if justice will be done or the judge will be fair. So the sword tends to separate us Separate us from the love of Christ. Now, you might ask, 
What does Paul know about all of this? Why could he write so authoritatively that what can separate us from the love of God? Whoa, the choir's ahead, balcony. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Who can separate us? Nobody. Now, we say, Paul, you're writing so dogmatically and so authoritatively. What do you know? And Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he says, this is what I have experienced. Listen to this. I have worked much harder and been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I may boast, said Paul, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Articus guarded in under to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through their hands. He was a basket case. Finally, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly with my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul would say, I know all of these things and more that tend to separate us from the love of Christ. And he said, I have discovered. What can separate me from the love of Christ? Paul would say, Now, let's just get real practical here, okay? Want to get practical? Very simple, very practical. Why does God's people, Paul, all of us, had to go through all these things? You know why? It's so you and I will have a resume. A few years back, I bumped into a verse in 2 Samuel. You need to read through the Bible, you bump into verses, and I want to read the 2 Samuel, the latter part of verse 23. It's talking about somebody named Benaniah, verse 20, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two minus warriors. Now listen to this, listen to this. This Benaniah also went down into a pit on a snowy day 
and killed a lion. Did everybody get that? Now, there's a lot of great victors in the Bible. But this guy, Benaniah, take what he did. Evidently, there was a man-killer lion killing people and animals, and Benaniah was a lion hunter, a lion chaser, and it was a snowy day. I'm sure he had a club. I'm sure he had a knife. And you can see him trying to find this killer lion, and suddenly he locks eyes with the beast. And the amazing thing, he runs toward the lion, and the lion runs. A lion runs about 35 miles an hour in a single bound, can bound over 30 feet, weighs about 500 pounds. And here, Benaniah begins to pursue the lion. The snow is falling. The lion's getting ahead of him, but the lion evidently didn't know and stumbled into a pit and went down into a pit. We could see Ben and I going over there looking down at lion. And Ben and I thought about what he was doing, I'm sure. He thought about it and he said, you know, it's, it's the wrong place to kill that lion in a pit. And it's the wrong time. It's snowing, it's slick can't see. So we see Ben and I, perhaps he would turn away, but then he did an amazing thing. He turned and charged and leaped into that pit on a snowy day and confronted the lion. It didn't last long, and then there was silence. I don't gamble, but would anybody like to place odds on how this is going to come out. You think the Kentucky Derby was run by a long shot? Nothing compared to this. Anybody want to guess? In a pit with a lion, a killer lion on a snowy day, how that's going to come out? Amazingly, Ben and I came crawling out. You can be sure he was bloody, he was scratched. The lion took a hunk out of him but he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, what's that all about? What's about all these hardships we go through? It's about building a resume, ladies and gentlemen. Later on, we see that David was looking for somebody to be in charge of his bodyguards, the most important position the king could appoint to protect him from all the threats that came from every side. And he was looking for a resume to, to be in charge of his bodyguards. He looked down, here's a guy, well, he has his PhD in martial arts from the University of Jerusalem. Hmm, that's good, right? Next guy, uh, the next guy here, oh, look, he is the undisputed cage champion of Israel. Oh, that's good. Here's a guy who, who holds a record for lifting the most weights in the history of the country. That would be good. And here's a guy, oh, here's a guy who on a snowy day went down in the pit and killed a lion. David said, I don't have to look at anymore. I found my guy. It's Benaniah. 
Benaniah went down in that pit and killed that lion. That built his resume, and he got a very important position in the land because of that amazing moment of heroism. What's the point of all this? If anybody here thinks we're going to turn America around, we're going to have the family come alive for God in Christ, we're going to change our educational system, we're going to heal our government, we're going to go in the corporate world and bring us in fill of integrity, we're going to bring up children in the 21st century. If anybody thinks that all this is going to happen, let me tell you, it's not going to happen with Christians like most of us who are calm, reflective, thoughtful, defensive, retroactive. Uh-uh. You said, well, I want to be like Jesus. Do you know what Jesus was like other than what you learned in the first and second grade of Bible study? Jesus was a lion chaser. That's who he was. And ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to become lion chasers in order to use our calling, our ability, and our influence at this time in history if there is to be a revival, a turning to God in every area of life. Let me tell you something. We need to become lion chasers, and I am for bringing up a whole generation of lion chasers. That's the only hope we have in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, you say what we need is a generation of bold believers, lion chasers, to change the world. Why is that especially important at this point in history? Because so many people have not received Christ, and also those who have are sort of, they've mediated everything down. They've made, made the church something like a country club or the church, something like an organization, not realizing that Christianity and his body is to permeate everything. And therefore, we have let Christ just sit on the sidelines and be another relationship that we have, but not the primary relationship that, encode, that gives us the ability in all relationships to be meaningful to God. So it's primary. When Christ is central, it's amazing how everything else works. When he is taken out of the center of our life, it's amazing how we get into so many difficulties that we don't have the power in our human flesh to handle. The secret of living the Christian life is surrender, surrender, surrender. I've got a problem, surrender it to Christ. I don't know which way to go, surrender it to Christ. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and catches fire and takes us through every mountaintop and every valley. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. 
Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.